So this morning we're, we're wrapping up a sermon series that uh, we've had a lot of fun with the past four weeks. It's called Top of the Charts, Exploring the Messages in Our Music. Our premise uh, has been that we can find theology, that we can discover God in our most uh, popular music. And each week we've taken a, a slightly different approach to this subject. So in week one we talked about the band U2. They are a, a secular band with a strong Christian faith and much of their music uh, has these distinctly uh, spiritual overtones. We featured the uh, song, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For, and our Sanctuary Choir did a, a terrific arrangement of that uh, secular radio hit from the 1980s. Then in week two, we talked about a Christian artist named Stephanie Gretzinger. She sings modern worship music. We featured her song, Out of Hiding, which Paris Mays sang for us. Paris is one of our modern worship leaders. She did uh, an amazing job with that song. And then last week, we talked about the life of Johnny Cash. And even though, as you know, Cash was primarily a secular recording artist, uh, we featured a gospel song that he sang with his wife, June. Brian and McKenna sang that for us. And uh, Brian showed off his impressive vocal range by doing his best Johnny Cash impression. Um, we tried to get him to just use his Johnny Cash voice around campus this week. He wouldn't do it. But he did very well in worship last week. And so it's been fun the first three weeks of this series uh, talking to folks after church about the music that they love. A surprising number of people have met Johnny Cash, by the way. I heard about that after worship last week. Um, and then I've been getting emails from folks suggesting other artists that we can feature at some point. And so the response has been so great that we're going we're gonna to plan a reprise of this um, series for the summer of 2023. I, I plan pretty far out in advance. And so uh, you are welcome to email me your ideas of who we can feature. I'm Chris at cumc.com, but that'll be next summer. And today we're taking a, a different approach from the first three weeks of this series. Today we're talking about a secular artist singing secular music uh, that I think we can interpret to be about God, even if the artist did not intend it to be. So Taylor Swift, her uh, debut self-titled album came out in 2006. Now, I don't know how else you feel about this. Taylor Swift feels like a very recent artist to me. Uh, but if you do the math, T-Swift, as the cool kids call her, no, maybe not all the cool kids, this cool kid calls her, has been around for a while now. And just to keep this in perspective, so we're recognizing our graduating seniors at the 11 a.m. service today. Uh, Taylor Swift burst onto the scene when these kids were like two years old. Um, by comparison, I graduated from high school in 1988, 16 years earlier, so the same time frame. Michael Jackson released his first solo album. Jackson Brown released his debut album. And by the time I graduated in 88, they seemed like they had been around forever. I'm guessing our youth feel the same way. Taylor Swift is not exactly uh, uh, a recent development in their lives because she is a long-established pop star at this point. And not really just a pop star, she is a pop superstar. Billboard put together a list of the greatest artists of all time uh, recently. And believe it or not, they had Taylor Swift at number eight on that list <laughs> in such company as The Beatles and Mariah Carey and Madonna and Michael Jackson. Now that may seem like a stretch to some, 
but her career has already been really impressive and she's only 32 years old. In 2019, she was named the Artist of the Decade by the American Music Awards. Uh, she was named Woman of the Decade by Billboard. She has won 11 Grammys. She's won 34 uh, American Music Awards. She's won an Emmy. She's the first woman and only the fourth musician ever to win the Grammy for Album of the Year three times, uh, which means that she certainly is worthy of including in a, in a series called Top of the Charts. Later in the service, our youth choir is gonna sing a fantastic version of a song that Taylor Swift wrote with uh, Ed Sheeran. We'll talk about that more a bit later. But for now, we're gonna talk about our scripture for today. So this is the, the sixth Sunday of the Easter season. And in the, the recommended list of readings for worship that's known as the lectionary, the book called the Acts of the Apostles is featured uh, every, every year during this season. So the Easter season, every week there are recommended texts from the book of Acts. And that's because it's the story of the early church and how uh, the early Christian movement spread in those first years following Christ's resurrection on that first Easter. And we're going to read a story today that I actually alluded to at the beginning of this sermon series. The Apostle Paul uh, has traveled to Athens to preach the gospel, and according to Acts, quote, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Okay, so he, he preaches first in the synagogue. That was always his um, approach. He would go to the synagogue first, preach to folks who already knew God, um, and then he would share the news with non-believers, people who did not yet know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Acts tells us that he uh, shares the news with Epicurean and Stoic philosophers as well as other non-believers. And the 17th chapter of Acts tells us uh, that there are those who wanted to hear more. And so they brought him to what was called the Areopagus, which was a, a public forum where people gathered to hear and uh, talk about important matters and new ideas. And so we're going to pick up the story from there. This is Acts chapter 17, verses 22 to 28 for now, and we'll read a little bit more later. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the author of Acts. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it. He who is Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So at the start of the series, we, we talked about how this story from Acts is an example of something that preachers have been doing since the earliest days of the church, namely introducing newcomers to the faith by connecting with someone or something they already know 
from their own culture. And as I mentioned, Acts tells us that uh, Paul is distressed when he gets to Athens um, by the amount of idol worship that was on display all over the city. But the silver lining of their idolatry is that they're clearly searching for something that they have not yet found, which means they're open to what Paul has to say. And so he begins by complimenting this sense of openness, but then he, then he pivots quickly to his primary purpose, introducing new people to the one true God, uh, the one who was revealed finally and fully in Jesus Christ. And he says, basically, look, uh, I've noticed that you've got a spot reserved for an unknown God. I'm telling you that what you've been looking for is this one true God that I now proclaim to you, the one uh, who made the world and everything in it, the one who is inviting you into a relationship through faith in Jesus. And then, even though it's not obvious necessarily from the text, Paul actually quotes two famous Greek poets who his listeners would have known. Uh, one is a, a sixth century BC poet named Epimenides, and one is a third century BC poet named Aratus. And he does this to further connect his audience with God. Neither of these poets were writing in the fifth and third centuries BC about the God that Paul was preaching about, of course. Or at least they didn't know they were writing about the God Paul was preaching about. But, but these were well-known verses to Paul's audience. And so using these familiar secular verses, he interprets God uh, to these potential newcomers to the faith, connecting with them um, through something someone they did not already know. And so he quotes, it's a great phrase. It, it's not original to the Bible, but it's one of my favorite phrases in the Bible. In him we live and move and have our being. He's taking that from the secular culture. And for we too are his offspring. And as we're going to read here in a minute, he was at least partially effective because some of them make a connection to a God that they had not previously known by youth, by, by Paul does that by connecting with their culture. And in so doing, Paul set an example for how we might use culture to introduce spiritual seekers to the God of grace and love and mercy, the one with whom we have a relationship in Christ. Back when I was a youth minister, uh, we used to take a spring break trip every year. Uh, one year we would go skiing, the next year we would do a retreat at some cool retreat facility, and we had plenty of fun on those trips for sure, but the primary purpose of the trip was to help draw our, our kids closer to Christ. And one year, I took a, a page from Paul's playbook, uh, connecting people with God through culture, uh, and I structured the retreat around the music of, of Lenny Kravitz. Now, this was in March of 2005, a year and a half before Taylor Swift's first album came out. And we went to Taos, New Mexico, which was a, a terrific spiritual or terrific destination for a, a spiritual retreat. And our theme for that week was Let Love Rule, which is based on the lyrics of, a, of the title and lyrics of a Lenny Kravitz song. And throughout the week, uh, we played some of his other songs as well. It became kind of a, a soundtrack for the retreat as the kids connected uh, God with culture, with their own spiritual journeys. And even those who did not necessarily know or even like the music of Lenny Kravitz still thought it was a pretty cool idea uh, to approach the retreat in this way. I got some serious cred with the kids on the, on the music front, 
hang in there, on the music front anyway. And that was cred that I promptly lost the following year when I chose as the soundtrack to music of the band Creed. <laughs> Creed, if you don't know, you don't know. It was like a mid-2000s uh, band, very big among youth ministers at the time, not cool with the kids at the time. My, my point is that the songs that become the soundtrack of our lives have the power to become the soundtracks of our faith, even when that's not the original intent of the artist. That's the great thing about music, like all art, really. We can interpret it however we want. Connecting culture to faith is a, is a powerful thing, and Paul was the first one to teach us that. So let's see how this uh, little speech at the Areopagus turns out. Uh, Acts 17, verses 29 to 34. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which we will have judged the, he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed, but others said, we'll hear you again about this. At that point, Paul left them, but some of them joined him and became believers, including Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Amen. So the resurrection of Christ is the event that changed the world forever. On Easter, we talked about how uh, Christ's resurrection both uh, conquered the grave uh, and empowers us to live differently on this side of it. When our faith is in Jesus, the resurrected Christ lives within us, meaning that we can live our lives in the context of God's forgiveness and mercy and grace. And in those earliest years of the church, all throughout the book of Acts, uh, Paul in particular and the apostles in general preached the resurrection to folks who had never even heard of God. And the result was that some mocked this idea, others were more open to the idea, and some came to believe in Christ. And for those who did come to believe, everything changed. The way they understood their place in the world, uh, the way they understood how they were to live, the way they understood how they were to interact with others, and of course, most importantly, the assurance of their salvation, of being in a right relationship with the one and only God. When they heard the gospel preached, and the message of the resurrection, everything changed. Which brings us to our, our song for today. So the song, Everything Has Changed, appeared on Taylor Swift's fourth studio album, Red. It was released in 2012. It's co-written and performed with the English musician Ed Sheeran. It got to number eight on the charts here in the U.S. It got to number seven on the charts in the U.K. So it's not one of her, her biggest hits, but I've always really liked it, in no small part because I like both of these artists. Now, it's a simple love song, uh, and it's definitely about two people who have just met and are just getting to know each other. There's a line that you'll hear about green eyes and the freckles, which is probably not about God. <laughs> Although, as an Irish-American with green eyes, it would, not show, it would not surprise me at all if God showed up that way. But this is a, a secular song by two secular artists, not unlike 
the, the two secular poets that Paul quotes to the Athenians as he's trying to introduce them to God. Now, earlier in the series, uh, Out of Hiding by Stephanie Gretzinger had the unique perspective of God singing to us. That's not all that common in music. I think our song today can be interpreted as us singing to God. More specifically, what if we heard everything has changed as being sung from the perspective of a new believer who's just coming to know God for the first time, kind of like uh, those Athenians who had heard Paul talking about Jesus and the resurrection and deciding that they wanted to know more. This is a song about taking down walls and opening the door of a relationship. It's about how love can transform us, how a relationship can change the way we look at the world, the way we live in the world, what we care about, what is most important to us. And I mean, for me, that's a, a great metaphor for the life of faith. And the lyrics, which you'll hear the kids sing and you'll see them projected, if you did not know this was a secular love song, if it was only ever sung in the context of worship, particularly in a modern worship setting, you can see where I'm going with this. I know something now I didn't before. I just want to know you better. You'll be mine and I'll be yours. All I know is a, a simple name. <laughs> Everything has changed. If we do it right, <laughs> we all know that uh, our faith in Jesus really should change everything. And then near the end of the song, there's, uh, it's clearly a love song about two people just beginning to fall in love. There's a line that sure sounds like pretty good theology to me. Taylor sings, all I know is a newfound grace. Maybe it's about God after all, or maybe we can just make it be about both. When our youth sing it here in just a second, you can decide for yourself if it fits your story with God. But whether or not you're with me on this one, my prayer is that everything has changed in your life because of your faith in Christ, because it is indeed in him that we live and move and have our being. Amen.